We're joined now by Stephen Simcox from the uh, podcast Locked on Horn Frogs. And, Simmy, good morning. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Tom. Thanks as always for having me on the show. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, and let's begin with the uh, the announcement that came out yesterday afternoon with Commissioner Bob Bowlesby electing to uh, to step away from uh, from the job. What what were your initial thoughts? I was surprised by the timing of it. Um, I mean, Bob's taken a lot of heat through the years, and I think most of it's been deserved. But I honestly feel like he's probably never been more popular. Now, that's not necessarily saying a lot because I feel like the majority of the Big Twelve has been unhappy with him. But ever since Texas and OU left, I, I think he's actually done a pretty nice job of keeping the conference together. I mean, last summer it really looked like the Big 12 was going to crumble. Either it was going to go away completely or it would become a brand-new league with a lot of group of five teams and maybe a few holdovers from the current conference. But he was able to keep the eight teams that were remaining together, at least for now. He got expansion done by Houston and UCF and BYU and Cincinnati. And, I mean, he was sort of blindsided by the whole thing. Now, um, I think it was a problem that he created by not being super proactive. I also feel like just the lack of respect that he commanded, and I don't know how much of that's his fault, but the fact that Texas and Oklahoma and Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, didn't even really give him a heads up that they were negotiating some sort of deal um, to move on and, and merge as one conference sort of tells you where he stood in the hierarchy of conference commissioners, but Kansas just won a national title. I think the league, for the first time in a long time, was pretty unified in a new direction, and I guess a lot of his legacy will depend on what happens with this transition and how relevant they are in the national discussion moving forward. But yeah, I was, uh, I was a little taken aback that he decided to do it now, but hey, these are good, these are good jobs. They're successful jobs, but they pay well, and if I could step away enjoy some of my life with his bank account. I think I'd probably do the same thing. I'm not sure how relevant this position will be under Sonny Dyke's office, but with the running back room now having Anthony Jones Jr. replace Rashad Samples, what does that do for that room? Well, the running back position is pretty talented, and you bring up a good point, Ward. I mean, we'll see what, what they do running the football. You know, Ulysses Bentley had a pretty productive year at SMU last season. I think Kendra Miller, he's a converted linebacker, um, but he's been a, a really good player at that spot behind Zach Evans. He's been super productive when he's been healthy. It looks like he's going to be your starter. And then behind him, a couple transfers, you know, Monty Bailey come over from Louisiana, and then um, and they have the Arkansas transfer who's, who's not on campus yet, but will be um, in the fall. And, and a couple of more experienced guys like Amari D. McConnell and DeMarcus Foster. I think there's some depth there. I feel like it's going to be a position that will be utilized more in the passing game, or at least more versatility. Um, I expect the backs to kind of share carries kind of uh, equally. And there's not one guy now with that kind of leaving that you feel like you have to get 15 to 20 touches. But I feel like they can be productive on the ground. I, I wonder more, too, you know, we're talking about running backs, but just the running game in general. All the, all the quarterbacks on campus right now, Max Duggan, Chandler Morris, and Sam Jackson, they're all really good with their feet, especially Duggan. And I, I'm curious how much of the uh, running game will come from designed runs from that position as well. But, yeah, Anthony Jones Jr., uh, Ward, I think it's a good hire. Came over from Memphis, did a good job there. He's known as a good recruiter, younger, energetic guy. He kind of fits that same mold that Rashad Samples was in before he left. So, 
Um, they should be in good shape there. I, I think it'll just depend on how much they want to use that position. Let's stick with football for a second, Simi. Was there anything to you that stood out this week in uh, Garrett Riley's press conference? Yeah, there were a few things. I mean, one, he was pretty noncommittal about the quarterback position, which that's not surprising, but I'm starting to have the feeling that this could drag on into the fall, and I'm not super excited about that. I would like to see somebody separate themselves, but I also realize that this is a new staff um, and that they've only had really five to ten practices with these guys so far, so they're still trying to figure out a lot of things, and I'm sure there's a ton of metrics to evaluate. I'm excited we'll see the tight end position more. Uh, you know, Jared Wiley, who we know well, is coming over from Texas. Also, Jacarius Spivey from Mississippi State. Um, they have a few players that are holdovers as well. That was a spot that really wasn't used at all, you know, the last few seasons with, with Doug Beecham calling plays. And then I think the thing that's most encouraging for me and that's probably the most is that he's excited about this offensive line. And I don't know how much of that, Garrett, is just, you know, typical uh, spring kind of hype talk. But if this O-line can hold up well, um, then I think this offense has the potential to be really, really good. He also sent the praises of Quentin Johnson and uh, Quincy Brown. I think they like what they have on the outside at the wide receiver position. Um, I feel like there's a lot to be excited about at the, on the offensive side of the ball. He's got to figure out that quarterback spot first. Visiting with uh, Stephen Simcox from the uh, podcast Locked On Big Twelve. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Locked On Horn Frogs. Stephen, let's uh, let's switch gears. Talk a little baseball. How big is, I realize it's April, but how big a series is this for, for TCU going to Austin to take on the Longhorns after dropping two out of three at home against West Virginia? Yeah, it's significant. I mean, they had a terrible week last week. They went one and four, and now they were able to bounce back last night and take care of business against UCA and Arlington. Uh, but this Texas team, they're really talented. They struggled a little bit, I think, compared to expectations, right? They're still a very good baseball team. But coming into the year as the consensus number one team, they haven't necessarily lived up to that. And they're still trying to figure out that pitching staff to a certain extent. But that lineup is lethal. I mean, Ivan Melendez is, is amazing. Douglas Hodo can hit the ball. Trey Falcini is somebody who can come up there and rake as well. Um, they got a lot of guys that can, that can mash. And this is a TCU team that, since Austin Krobe has gone down with an injury, has really struggled behind Riley Cornelio on Friday nights to find consistent pitching both from their starters and their bullpen. If they can go down to Austin and get two out of three, that would be really big. This is a huge stretch for them the next four weeks. They play Texas. They play Texas Tech at home. Then they travel to Stillwater and mesh in between there as a non-conference series on the road against Florida State. So maybe the toughest schedule in the country for the next month. I would guess it probably is. Um, You have to steal a series at some point. If they could do it on the road in Austin, that would be pretty big. And I think it would give this team some confidence heading into that um, series at home against Tech next weekend. But it's uh, it's a big deal. I mean, they still have a good conference record. They're 6-3. and three. Um, But that was uh, an unfortunate series loss to West Virginia at home. There's really no excuse for not getting it done against that team, even though, you know, Randy Mays, he's a good coach. They put a lot of pressure on you the way they run the bases. Uh, but bottom line is that's a series they shouldn't have lost, and now they're going to have to make up for it by maybe uh, pulling off an upset against Texas. Stephen, hate to bounce you around, but I want to go back to Joseph Gillespie and this defense, the three-three-five plug-and-play that he's installing at TCU. How does the defense seem to be grasping it, and is this going to be a a good move for TCU because they can play downhill and use their speed more? 
Well, I think the, the scheme adjustment will be a good fit for them. They have kind of some hybrid guys that will fit well in those linebackers slash, you know, secondary roles that Joseph Gillespie likes to use. I know Marcel Brooks has had a big-time um, couple weeks in camp kind of learning the defense and playing downhill and playing fast. Uh, I think it will be a good adjustment event. I'm worried about this year, Ward, because this defensive line, there's just a ton of question marks. It seems like the offense has been getting the better of them. Um, throughout the spring, and, you know, I, I know there's some learning going on, uh, but, man, you would really like to see this defense get back to a TCU level this season. I don't know if it can happen, um, but I like I, I like the adjustment with Joseph Gillespie. I think as he, you know, starts to develop guys, as he starts to get players that fit his system more, it's going to be a good adjustment for the team. Um, and I, I feel like the secondary has a chance to be really good this year with some experience coming back. Trevor Tiger's time with him and Noah Daniels at corner. Uh, Bud Clark coming back in that safety position. He's had a lot of starts. But you have to be good up front. So they need to figure that out. And I think they're still kind of searching for uh, some guys, especially that nose tackle position, who can uh, take some pressure off those linebackers and allow them to make plays. Stephen, we spent a lot of time this morning discussing with everything the landscape when you look at the Big 12 in general. Bob Bowlesby steps down. Uh, you have Baylor and Kansas go back-to-back and win in national championships on the basketball side, and you have the, the mass exodus with Texas and Oklahoma, the new look with the teams coming in. Is this now going to be a basketball conference when you look at the Big 12, and does it almost seem like we're it's a mesh-up of like the Sun Belt and football and the Big East in basketball when you look at the new look of the Big 12? Well, it's a fascinating question. I mean, I asked this on the podcast yesterday if it's a basketball conference, and I guess it depends on your definition because I still think it's it's, it's still a very Texas-centric conference, and I don't mean the University of Texas. I just mean most of the schools are based in the state of Texas. And football is king here. I think it always will be. That's what the fan bases care about the most. But from a success standpoint, you're right, Garrett. I mean, it really is been led by basketball. You know, Kansas and Baylor have gotten it done in the national title game. And I think not only that, um, Iowa State breaking through and making the Sweet 16. Texas Tech has, you know, maintained their excellence under Mark Adams. Uh, TCU is trying to get better, you know, in men's basketball. They've made the investments there. Um, Texas obviously went and got Chris Beard, and they were able to at least get, you know, a win and run one NCAA tournament for the first time in a long time. And I I wonder if, since there's a new identity sort of as you laid out there, if they kind of lean in to the basketball side of it because that is where they're having the most success. But there is a danger there because you mentioned the Big East, and they were the premier basketball conference for a long time. You're right. But that still didn't stop them from getting, you know, eaten alive by the ACC eventually. And the Big East still has a basketball deal with Fox Sports 1. I think they're still relevant in NCAA tournament discussions. Um, but it's, it's not a football conference anymore, and they've sort of left kind of the holdovers um, like Georgetown and Villanova, those teams that really only play basketball, and that's what they do. Um, so I think there's some danger because even if you are super successful at basketball, you can kind of be left out in the cold from a national perspective. But Big 12 also cares a lot about football. I think they're going to invest in it. So, yeah, there could be a good sort of synchronization between the two sports, and I think um, that'll be something for the new commissioner to look at. How do you lean into that brand of we're the best basketball conference in the country but also, we still care about football. We're still making an investment, and we also want to be a factor in the you know the college football playoff discussion as well. Stephen, what do you uh, what do you got coming up on the podcast? 
So today, uh, I'll drop this about 30 minutes. It's our Big 12 roundtable with Josh Neighbors from Lifetime Big 12 and a few others. So we're talking about the football with these parts and more. Uh, plenty of spring football coverage right now. Uh, we did baseball and basketball as well. Baseball, of course, in season and basketball, we're following, uh, you know, what happens with the rest of the roster after Mike Miles' departure. So all that on Lifetime Horn Drugs, wherever you find the podcast. Stephen, as always, it's a pleasure, man. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. See you later. That is uh, Stephen Simcox with the uh, podcast Locked on Horn Frogs.